welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mary Chavinsky. She's a principal researcher and research manager at Microsoft Research in Redmond. Mary shares some great experiences about how she works as a manager and team leader. She also talks about insights from her research on stress that, apart from some technology interventions they're working on, include some very easy practical interventions from how we manage email to deep breathing and mindfulness strategies. A theme throughout is the importance of getting to know yourself, in particular getting to know your own values and priorities, and tied in with that the importance of planning. This is the work to do good work. So my guest today is Dr. Mary Chewinski, and we're at the Pervasive Health Conference. Mary works at Microsoft Research, and she'll tell us about that in a, in a minute. Mary's also a multiple award winner in all sorts of areas, you know, ACM SIGCHI Lifetime Service Award, CHI Academy inductee, ACM Distinguished Scientist, ACM Fellow, um, Distinguished Alumni at Indiana University, and so on. So really highly clearly highly respected in our field so thank you for taking the time for talking it's a pleasure so um just for some background and context could you just tell us a little bit about you know, you, where you've come from and what your role is now sure and thanks for that introduction uh, i am a research manager and a principal researcher at microsoft research in redmond washington uh which is pretty much the mothership for mm-hmm. microsoft Uh, And I've been doing a lot of work over the last uh, few decades now, uh, looking at uh, attention, multitasking, and much more recently, uh, the last five years, I've been looking a lot at stress Mm -hmm. and emotions in general, and using emotion as an input as an extra piece of context information that a system can use, whether that's to help you reflect and be more aware of your own emotions at the time, or actually to see how work environments or work habits actually influence your emotions, mm-hmm. and in particular, mm-hmm. stress. So, so I think you, that's what we'll be talking yeah. about today. So you've been look, looking at that with people in workplaces? Mm-hmm. As yes, practice. yes. But we've also been looking at um, just the everyday person yeah. as well in, yeah. in much of our work. And your background? Oh, sorry. My background is a cognitive psychologist, um, particularly in visual attention and multitasking was what I got my degree in. So did you go to Microsoft straight after your degree or what what was... (laughs) No, I went straight into Bell Communications Research where I worked there for for about a little over a year. And then um, because of a family move, we ended up in Houston, Texas, uh, where I found a job at Johnson Space Center. I was the applied research lead um, for human-computer interaction. And that was great. I got to work with astronauts and worked on the space station designs and um, the thermocontrol system, thermonuclear control system wow. or some such thing. Yeah, it was really wow. fun. Um, and then I uh, went to Compact Computer for five years uh, where I managed a group of people doing um, HCI for software on, on Compact Computers. And eventually, you know, it was kind of put your money where your mouth is and, and go work at a real software company. And that's how I ended up at Microsoft. Right. So how long have you been at Microsoft for 20 now? years. 20? Yeah, wow. 20, yeah. Wow. 
So you've seen lots of changes over time, oh, or been yes. part of lots of changes. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I got there yeah. when they didn't know what the internet was. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw that yeah. turnaround, which yeah. was a big one. And I just saw another recent one with Satya Nadella taking over the company, big turnaround in the company. So it's interesting to watch. What have been the big challenges? So it sounds like with lots of those roles, you've moved into sort of more management, team management roles really mm -hmm. early. Mm -hmm. What have been some of the big challenges for you as a researcher in yeah, managing, learning how yeah, to manage? Managing is very interesting. You know, as a PhD, you're kind of taught to be full of oneself and yeah. confident. And yeah. the first thing I learned as a manager was to not be that, you yeah. know, to be someone who's inclusive and... Yeah. Um, really compassionate and, and um, really making your priority, building people up as opposed to, you know, I'm the one who knows everything, you know, as, as we're me. trained, follow me. Follow me. Yeah, well, you, there is some leadership involved, yeah. obviously, but um, my management style in particular is to let people follow their, their own passion and I want to help them succeed. So. so how would you describe the leadership role then in that, that way? Because I, I love that piece of allowing people space, it seems, to grow and, yeah. and become their own sort of research identity as they want it. Yeah. And how do you, how do you inject leadership in that sort of, you know, giving people the space but... Yes, well, um, we are very fortunate at Microsoft Research where we don't have to say, for instance, as the manager, everyone should be working on my research area, right? Yeah. So I have the luxury of being able to let um, people on my team yeah. choose their own research direction. Yeah. And then, of course, I just want to make sure that it gets nurtured somehow. Sometimes that can't be through me. I'm not going to be the expert on that topic. Yeah. Um, other times I can help, you know, because in the area of information visualization, I feel like I know something about that topic yeah. and I can help with yeah. that. If it's in the area of designing IDEs for programmers, you know, I can help with the usability aspects and whatnot, but I'm not the expert in that. So we, we seek out experts to help them grow. Yeah. So allowing people the space, but also shaping, you know, mm -hmm. supporting them. So that's about yeah. identifying what their support needs are and yes. sort of helping them access yes, that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And again, because we're researchers, I mean, people come into my group already with a PhD or whatever their degree is in. And, and um, so oftentimes... Um, they already pretty much know what they're doing. Yeah, you know, yeah. you just need, like, really, if you want to see a research project become a technology transfer, yeah. then, you know, what they need more than anything is help networking and yeah. navigating the hierarchy that is Microsoft's yeah. politics and whatnot. Yeah. And really, it takes it takes a few years, so teaching them how to be patient with that <laughs> process is actually... Any, any bureaucracy, <laughs> yes. any hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. So you're an enabler. Yes, you try. I, that's my style. Enabler and protector. Yes, yeah. that's a, that's a great way of putting yeah. it. I, I guess there's also something about establishing a, a culture within the group. Yes. Um, what are there any particular things that you would do around that piece? Well, there's always conflict, and conflict resolution is always painful for anyone, including me. Uh, I feel like over the years I've learned some ways of doing that. Um, and then, you know, when there are particular areas or opportunities for growth in, in people on my team, I, I really do try to encourage them to embrace that, whether it's having them take a class or two on a particular topic or practicing. You know, a great example is interrupting people when they're talking, right? Um, one of my favorite strategies for, for 
teaching someone how to let others speak <laughs> is just to have them write down what they were going to say instead mm -hmm. of saying it mm -hmm. and letting the other person finish. Then, if your point is still relevant, <laughs> you know, maybe you yeah. need to learn that it, it's not anymore, you know, yeah. but if it's still relevant, go ahead and say that. But um, there are lots of techniques for inter interpersonal communication, I think, yeah. that sometimes in getting a PhD, you haven't actually been yeah. perhaps schooled in no. as well as you could have been. And that's a theme that's come up in lots of discussions that, you know, the training for a PhD, you know, training during a PhD doesn't include a lot of these other skills that right. we need. Soft to skills. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like that's still you still have to have the courage to have that initial conversation with someone that says, "Yeah." And it, so, how would you do that? You know, like say I was interrupting, <laughs> you know, a lot in meetings. Just can you just give us an example? Well, I I have a very strong belief in one on ones. Yeah. Um, we don't do them weekly. We do them every other week most oh. of the time. Some people like them weekly, but most but people. How long? Uh, well, we always schedule an hour, but. Yeah. Um, it can be a half hour. It just depends on how up-to-date we are with everything, right? Um, and I travel a lot, so sometimes we need a full hour, right? Um, but we do try to have one-on-ones, and I have an open-door po policy um, anyway, so you can come in and talk to me at any time, send me email on anything. Uh, but our one-on-ones are where you take the opportunity to explore um, developmental opportunities. And, you know, sometimes the team is telling me about someone. Sometimes it's not even something I've witnessed myself, so I actually have to hear the story from the, the person that I'm, I'm trying to coach. Um, but a lot of times um, you have enough evidence and you know that someone needs to be, um, you know, uh, kind of counseled or coached on a particular um, growth area. And that's when I, I take advantage of my one-on-ones to do that. It's, it's, it's our time to work on something together. You know, and I always ask my team, too. I'm not, you know, beyond yeah. needing to grow in certain areas yeah. either. So, so you ask them for feedback. I on do ask them. How, <laughs> I just how recently, am I going with... Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and there, Microsoft gives you lots of opportunities to yeah. give feedback to your manager, even anonymously. So, okay. So you so get you... it from all different directions. <laughs> it sounds like a very open, growth-oriented environment. Well, I try to make it that yeah. way in my group yeah. anyway. That, that if there are problems, they're not sort of a negative thing, but, you know, like the language that you used about it being an opportunity. It's you an know, opportunity. And, a, and, a <laughs> and some people just can't, some people can't learn some yeah. of these skills. They just can't. And so you have to continuously coach them on it. You know, I, I like to rem remember when you were doing X, you know, and so, so they get the very concrete feedback. Um, but, you know, there will be that employee who just can't, can't figure it out, can't grow, so you, you help them the best you can. Yeah. Lots of really, really interesting pointers to important but subtle skills that make yeah. a difference when you're managing the Yeah, group. they do. Um, so the research that you do is, is also very important in, in everyday life around stress and yes. attention management and distraction and multitasking. Yes. What, what have been some of the key insights or findings from that research? That, well, you know, I mean, I know that there are lots of papers. So it's sort there's of so many papers, people, but yes, and, and all of them make very very small but important yeah, points. Yeah. So um, I, would I would say, you know, by big takeaway, yeah. um, I would say that um, it's very clear that email is a, a big contributor to stress. And we have looked, in fact, at, at Kai just this this just a week ago, uh, we did have a paper there showing that um, 
If you choose to kind of ignore the notification that comes up on the email and try to just go to your email when you actually have time to do email, not when you should be doing something else, mm-hmm. it can make a big difference in stress reduction. I would say the other thing is that we've looked at just turning off email or batching email or whatnot. Um, that doesn't seem to have a huge effect. It really does it seem to be... No, it really seems to be more about the flow and rhythm of your work. Okay. So if you need to be working on a Kai paper for three hours, in that case, it's probably important that you don't you know, keep paying attention to every single ding you hear in your inbox, right? You should be focusing. Um, but, you know, for many, many years I've known that sometimes you get an, a very important email and you just have to reply to it right away. I mean, I'm in that situation right yeah. now. We have performance yeah. reviews due. Yeah. And if my manager emails me, it's probably about performance reviews. Yeah. I don't care what paper I'm writing. I need to drop everything yeah. and attend to my own employees. Um, so we've known that for a long time. Um, there was a system, I talk about this all the time, it's just so funny to me, called Priorities in 2000, which used a very simple model. It was, it was built by Eric Corbett's very simple model of information about me. You know, who is sending the email and where do they sit in my hierarchy at work? How often do I tend to look at that email? How quickly do I t- tend to look at email from that person? Do I delete that email? Um, a few you know, more things it knew about my calendar and some keywords. And honestly, you could set the threshold very high if you were working on something important. You would know that you did not have an important email come in. And you could work for three hours so on that This paper. is a software tool. It was a software tool, and it never shipped. And so I'm really, really hoping that you yeah. know, in the next year or so, we have a system that's contextually aware enough um, that really you can safely ignore emails and other kinds of notifications by knowing that something important just isn't happening right now and you can focus. So that's really important. The last thing I want to say about stress is that um, we have shown that it can um, make a big difference how you choose to look at stress. Mm-hmm. So some people look yeah. at stress as an opportunity. Yep. You know, and it wills them forward to to forge ahead and, and do harder, uh, more difficult things. And other people look at it as just overwhelming and they become helpless yeah. and, and it just washes over them and consumes them in a way and, and, and that's really bad. So um, I like to to counsel people to look at stress as a challenge, an opportunity, something that we could be designing for mm-hmm. uh, and not against, so, so to speak. So not avoiding. Not necessarily. Not avoiding, but it's the way recognizing you look at how it. we choose to respond. It, exactly. To so just what we were talking about, if you res- choose to respond to every single email that comes in, regardless of how important it is, you're going to have a very stressful day. But if you choose your work carefully and thoughtfully, um, we can probably reduce the stress in your life. So that sounds a lot about taking control mm-hmm. and, and taking responsibility. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, it, it, it takes work to yeah. do good work, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it does. It yeah. takes a lot of work sometimes to schedule your day and really look at your priorities and, and then to honor them. Yeah. That's where we all fail, that's, right? <laughs> that's a really good point, isn't it? To honor them. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. And... You said to, you know, to look at your priorities and to honour them. We forget the your priorities. You know, yeah. To forget to prioritise my priorities. That's right, not um, someone else's priorities. Yeah, because when we don't honour them, it's often because someone else's priorities who maybe isn't in the hierarchy. Right. You know, I mean, that we shouldn't be responding to. Is, 
Well, and your direct reports are your priority as well. So my team is my priority. But um, yes, I think honoring, and, and I do I do have an open door policy, but I will tell people if I'm very, very, very busy. And I, I will say, you know, I, I do want to talk to you. I will talk to you. But right now, I have yeah. to focus. You know. and I tend to do that as well. And then when I do have my door closed, people know how to they read. Know. Well, I think they know how to read that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or I'll say, you know, I can't talk to you now, but I can talk to you, you know, exactly. later. I'll come and get you later. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's what I do yeah. as well. And that seems to work. Yeah. It also, I often think about that, though, is that a good strategy? Because does it lead to more interruptions? Right. Yeah. Um, well, I block off my calendar. I don't know if you do this, but I block off my calendar when I know that I have important deadlines. Yeah. And so people won't schedule meetings with me. If they honor my calendar when they yeah. schedule meetings, some people aren't so conscientious. But if they honor my calendar and they see my free busy times, I, I know that I've cushioned myself enough that I'll get my work done if, if I honor it. Um, so that's how I handle that. Yeah. So that, I want to pick up on something that you said earlier as well, because you talked about, you know, sort of knowing the rhythms of your day mm -hmm. and sort of the priorities. Mm -hmm. And that implies a certain amount of work, you know, the, right. the work to work. The setup and work. <laughs> a certain amount of work and insight to be aware of what your rhythms are and what your priorities are and, to, and to, what are the areas that you want to honour for your own sort of right. work pattern. Right. It takes some careful planning. It really does. I mean, I'm sure if I counted up the number of minutes I spent on planning my week, it would be significant. Right. Yeah. I have never done that experiment on myself, but you're kind of making me interested in what that would be. See, that would be interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the work to work? Right. And for, how long does it take? Yeah. 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 We don't actually calculate that in when we yeah. do our research on yeah on the rhythm of work. But there is a general rhythm. I mean, there is the beginning of the day, yeah. then you get into your work, then there's a, you know, a kind of a cool down as you lead up to lunch, yeah. cool down when you come back, and then you ramp back up again. You know? So it, it, we have seen this kind of consistent yeah. rhythm. It differs for different people based on when they start. But. So you, you, you publish on you know, stress and you know, uh, uh, multitasking and things. Um, yeah, and some really interesting insights that have been very influential in the field. Thank you. Um, in what ways have they been influential in your own life? Or you know, you, you've talked about some of the things. Are there other yeah. ways that? Well, I, I, I tell whenever I give a talk, and if you go to my keynote yes, Thursday morning, you'll, you'll, you'll hear that I say when I first started reading the stress literature, I got super stressed out. Yeah. I mean, a whole summer, my heart rate, you know, everything was just on edge because I'd been reading its literature and its stress is so bad for you. I mean, yeah. you know, gives you abdominal fat and like all kinds of bodily injuries and gastrointestinal problems, etc. So it just really freaked me out. So I had to... So you got stressed about stress. I got stressed about stress because I was taking it very seriously. So I had to develop some really good interventions for myself yeah. because I was so stressed out. And I started with deep breathing and a few mindfulness techniques, etc. So now I have a, at least a handful in my pocket yeah. Um, that I can pull out when I when I need them, but um, we're doing some very serious work this summer on um, a, a behavioral a behavioral technique called DBT. Uh, it's like cognitive behavioral therapy, yeah. but it's called dialectical behavioral yeah. therapy. Yeah. It was invented at UW by Marsha Linehan, and we have one of her students coming in this summer to intern with us, mm -hmm. and we're very excited to work with her on some serious interventions, psychological interventions, yeah. um, that I hope, you know, 
all of us will learn. And um, really, if you look at mindfulness techniques and emotion regulation techniques and, and things like that, everyone should learn these. You should learn these when you're a child. Indeed. You know, yes. they're so important to how yeah. you handle stress. Yeah. And also being able to look at stress as an opportunity means you have to have the resilience, you know, to appreciate the situation and know that there's something you can do about it. Yeah. So um, I'm really looking forward to the summer to learning some new techniques yeah. that, that I may not have known about before. So, so what is dialectical um, It's just a behavior therapy. therapy that I am not an expert in, yeah. um, but it's, it's a very successful treatment technique for um, suicide prevention mm -hmm. and also bipolar disorder. So um, I'm very much looking forward to learning more about it yeah. um, myself this summer. I've been reading, I've been reading um, the workbook on the skills, um, so I'm starting to dive into it myself. Is it a one-on-one? -on -one? It is, is a it therapy a... technique that's mm -hmm. used by clinical therapists, and many people want to learn this technique right now, actually. Um, but um, the people in this lab, in the Linehan lab, um, very much would like to get it out there uh, for free to people who really need it. And so we'll be working on some of that. And hoping to show that it can work online yeah. so we can reach more people. Yeah. Um, so the toolkit that you, I'm really looking forward to hearing yeah, more yeah, about yeah. that yeah. and seeing more what comes out of the work over the summer. Mm -hmm. It sounds fascinating. Um, and you talked before about it, the, you know, the tools that you have, that the deep breathing and some of the mindfulness yeah, yeah, yeah. techniques. What would be some of the other tools that you have in your toolkit? Well, we came up you? with some, some, I think they're very fun ones that yeah. I think um, you'll hear about Thursday morning. And so I'll just mention a couple of them. What we tried to do was take um, real psychological interventions from psychology and then marry them with social media. So um, Pablo Parides, the intern that, that worked on this project with me, uh, he looked at the top 10 things people do on their phones. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, well, they're going to go do these things anyway. Yeah. And we believe that you can't really grow a new habit without hanging it on an old habit. Yeah. It's a belief I have anyway. Yeah. I don't know if I'm right or not. But um, so we thought, well, these are habits people have already. Let's see if we can yeah. piggyback on them. Yeah. And so I'll just use one. Uh, he says, you know, um, Think of three things you're thankful for. You're supposed to write it down mm -hmm. in, you know, mm -hmm. in positive psychology. Mm -hmm. yep. Well, why not go to the Facebook timeline and look for three things you're thankful for? You're going to go there anyway. Why just mindlessly graze on Facebook when you can actually go with a purpose? Yeah. So he built interventions like that, and we built a, a phone app called Pop Therapy, mm -hmm. um, which was just supposed to be a fun really lightweight way of delivering micro-interventions yeah. that were personalized to what yeah. you liked to do. Yeah. So I don't like to play games on my yeah. phone, but a lot of people do. And so, you know, playing fun games is another kind of stress reliever yeah. um, that you put in the app. And there are things like go read happy news stories yeah, and good. look at, at funny LOL cat pictures, you yeah. know, <laughs> just really silly yeah. ones, but... Some, some very thoughtful ones, yeah. too, that actually... And there is the psychology research underpinning. Well, there was a psychology the, research that underpinned many of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, we had about yeah. 16, and we pulled them from CBT and yeah. positive psychology and, and areas like that. And then there were some that were just... We called them somatic. Um, they're just things like stand up and stretch, yeah. do the deep breathing, things like that. And... and People actually liked doing them. And even something as simple as going and getting a cup of coffee with a friend or taking a walk with a friend mm -hmm. actually can be very powerful. Mm -hmm. People liked people liked the social interventions yeah. a lot. Yeah. So so yeah, so these things pop up 
if you're if we have a a, a stress sensor on you, we can deliver them just in time when you're actually very stressed, which has been proven to be quite useful. Or we just pop them up at various times in the day, or if it's been a while since you've done an intervention, like maybe an hour and a half, two hours, um, and just remind you, you know, this, this is something you can do, and it helps with stress in the workplace. I like the way that they're embedded in things that you do anyway, yeah. and that they, they sound relatively simple to exactly. do, exactly. they was can the whole have point. powerful effects. Yeah, yeah. And I think that points to what we can all do in a way, isn't it, that we can do make choices to do some simple things yes. that work for us and have yes. impacts. You can do deep breathing in the car. Yeah. You know, I mean, I keep waiting for the car. I heard Ford had put sensors in, in the steering wheel, but oh, I haven't yeah. seen it come out yet. But, you know, if they have a camera on you and they can see you're stressed, you know, there could be, like, some nice, you know, in and out sounds that the car could, like, play for you so that you could kind of slow down your breathing. Um, yeah, there are, there are things you can do while you're driving that could help relieve the stress. So if you could wave a magic wand over your own work life, you know, the sort of work to work, uh, what would be some of the things that you would, you know, additionally like to do yeah. in, um, in, in complement to the tools that you use already? What would make a difference in an ideal world? I think the thing I'm noticing, and I don't know why this is happening, but the pace of things is escalating so much. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to use this very recent example. Um, I, I planned this trip, you know, months ago, yeah. right? Yeah. And knew very well the dates that I'd be out. I arrive here and I get told all of our performance review material is due. And I didn't, you know, the, the planning for the work never was able to happen because it, it was needed within, you know, a couple of days. And this seems to be happening again and again and again in so many ways yes. to me. is like you think you're planning, yes. but then all of a sudden you get thrown a wrench yeah. in your plan. Yeah. And I just personally wish the pace would just cut back a little bit. Yeah. That's what I would like to see yeah. is a little bit more distance, for, especially for things like promotions and, yeah. you know, performance reviews and stuff yeah. that are so important to yeah. um, the people on our teams. Um, I would like that pace or at least knowledge about the dates well in advance so yeah. I can do a great job. Yeah. Otherwise, I need to say no. I need to say no way more often than yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I always want to participate. I always want to help. Yeah. I want to do professional service. Yeah. I love doing that, but I just need to say no more yeah. often. And, and that was true when my kids were very young, and it's yeah. still true today. Yeah. It's not like you get fewer opportunities. You get more opportunities, more opportunities. the more senior you yeah. get, right? Yeah. And so saying yeah. no becomes important. Yeah. And really, it goes back to prioritizing. Yeah. What, you know, what are your values in life, yeah. and what, what do you really want to do to make a difference in yeah. life? So, so I was going to say, how do, you, how do you say no? So this comes back to a theme that sort of has gone through a lot of what you've said, which is really about knowing yourself and making yeah. you know, taking some time out to reflect yeah. on what are your values you know because yeah. that's something that you hadn't mentioned before but right. that sort of like seems like a really key piece because if you know your values then you can determine your priority you've got some sort of yardstick against yep. which you can sort of prioritize and and I don't know how many people yeah. sit down and even yeah. take a couple hours writing their values down yeah. and yeah. exploring them I was very lucky I had 
um, a leadership training class where they made us do yeah. that. And yeah. we did. We took a day. And that made a difference it for you, It makes a it? big difference, yeah. If you write them down, yeah. you have them, yeah. right? So did you think that you knew them before, or was there something important about taking the time out to There was something important about taking the time out and actually yeah. writing them down. Because you can imagine, your values, there's so many things that could be yeah. your values, right? Yeah. If you're going to talk about what are your top five values, yeah. you know, yeah. and those shouldn't really change that often. Yeah. So doing it once is sufficient in a yeah. way, maybe you do it every 10 years, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it does yeah. make a difference to take the yeah. time and really think that through. I thought I had known them, but I didn't mm. really know them. Yeah. Well, I've done a similar exercise and yeah. I, I also found it, found it really powerful because it gives you sort of that orientation point. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and center. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you said about making a difference and making an impact, I think. I can't remember the exact words, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. you know, making choices then that align with your values that allow you to do yeah. that. Um, what do you want your legacy you, to be when yeah, you're gone? It's, yeah. it's one way of thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, So this has been really interesting. Thank you, Mary. Thank Is that, you. Are there it's any sort of final sort of thoughts or... Um, well, we were talking about the younger generation, and yeah. I, do, I do hope that they can prioritize you know, the important things in their lives yeah. and yet still accomplish what they need to accomplish yeah. at work. And that is just recognizing that you need time for your family and you need yeah. time for yourself, yeah. or you can't really do the work, right, yeah. like we say. Yeah. You need yeah. that planning component to yeah. your life. Um, can't, just can't let it get overwhelming. Yeah. And then we have a bigger conversation about how we change some of the bigger systems and structures so that yes. we do get noticed earlier to plan and yes. all, you know, so that we don't create such a busy life for everyone. Yeah, it's a socio-technical problem for sure. It is, it is. So thank you very thank much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. That was fun. Bye. <laughs>If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, you can subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes and you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. Till next time.